I've listened to Jagged Little Pill by Alanis Morissette for months. And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to Spin It. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Spin It, the record-ranking podcast for people who would rather be listening to music. I'm James, and with me is Connor. Say hi to the people. Oh, we're back to that? I don't know. I Forcing me to say hi to the people? I thought we got past this. I switched back and <laughs> forth between them. Are you not going to say hi? Uh, I was going to, and then you told me to, so now I'm not going to. Well, never mind. You've cost the people their hello. I hope you can live with yourself. I can, trust me. <laughs> Just all of you listening know that he's here. Hello, people. Oh, <laughs> I mean, what's the point? Gotta keep you guessing. Uh Uh-huh. I guess. (laughs) This week we're talking about some more 90s music. We don't do a lot of the 90s yet. Sadly. I mean, we try and jump around to everything. And the 90s are just one of several decades that have been. The 90s exist. Yeah. And there's a lot of good music from the 90s. But this week we're talking about Alanis Morissette and Jagged Little Pill. Sure are. Which is a really interesting album, I think, to come out of the 90s. Right smack in the middle, the sixth month of 1995. That's as middle of the 90s as you can get. Depends on how long the 90s are. You know how long the 90s were. They're done. It's 10 years. Exactly 10 years, as a matter of fact. The 90s is a state of mind, all right? Are you in a 90s state of mind? I am today. Great. I Well, then you ought to know. Then I know what? I didn't have an answer in mind. That was just a pun on the song name. I don't get it. Okay, well. Uh, listen, I'm just sitting over here with my hands in my pockets and my head over my feet, as one normally has their head. That's okay. I had notes about that, too. <laughs> we'll get there. I'm jumping the gun, but anyway, (laughs) tell me about the artist. (laughs) Yeah, uh, Alanis was born in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada in 1974. And fun fact, she's a twin. Twin! Her parents were teachers in a military school, so from three to six years old, she lived in West Germany. Dang. Yeah, I know. In 1980, the family returned to Canada, and Alanis started to learn to play the piano and take dance lessons. She was writing her own songs by the age of 10, so another early starter on our... (laughs) long list of musicians who started as kids every time you take me one of those i just think about how little i did with my 10 year old self (laughs) really squandered my chance to be alanis morissette to be anything yeah okay not necessarily alanis well you set yourself up perfectly to be a podcaster then (laughs) maybe you can project it onto your children like in the perfect song oh yeah screw up their life to make me feel better about my own mm-hmm. don't think i'll do that okay i think that one's a pass for me <laughs> right well the point is alanis did something with her 10 year old self started writing songs and in her teen years she started to record demos her first was called fate stay with me and she sent another demo off to geffen records but it got stolen from their headquarters a couple months later added to the spin it mystery list i know it's probably sitting in somebody's garage along with the shin's entire first album what if it's the same guy out there collecting all of collecting masters (laughs) i believe it he's a master criminal careful you're gonna hurt the pride of another master criminal on this podcast it's not exclusive there could be more than one actually he's saying to me he he's a phd criminal which is better so regardless though of her demos being stolen she signed with MCA Records, and in 1991, she put out her eponymous debut album, a little dance poppy record called Alanis. Interestingly enough, it was a Canada-only release. They didn't actually go international with it. She and her producer, Leslie Howe, wrote every single track, and that album did hit platinum, and it broke Canada's top 20. Two singles cracked the top 40. That's not that hard. It's not hard to break Canada's top 20. Yeah. People really started to take notice of her success. Actually, people were drawing comparisons to artists like Debbie Gibson, and she opened for Vanilla Ice, of all people, in concerts. During this time, she picked up three Juno Award nominations, including a win for Most Promising Female Vocalist of the Year. Her second album was also a Canadian-exclusive release, and it was called Now is the Time. It was a little more toned down, a little more introspective, ballad-centric for the ballad guy, and uh, apparently it was not as much of a winner as her first record, Alanis. Despite having three songs crack the top 40 this time, the album really didn't even do half as well as the first album. It didn't sell very well, didn't move a lot of copies, and that was also the last album in her existing record deal. So she started label shopping, and allegedly 
she was passed up by a lot of labels before she came to Maverick Records in 1995. Do you know who owns Maverick Records? No, actually, I don't know. That is the entertainment company founded by Madonna. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so you could say Madonna is responsible for her success. I don't know if you could. Maybe Madonna <laughs> played a part in it. <laughs> to make Madonna solely responsible for Alanis Morissette's success is a little... It feels like you're missing some pieces of the puzzle. But this is where we jump into Jagged Little Pill, Alanis's third studio album. And like I said, it came out in June of 1995. Finally, finally, we break out of the Canadian border. And this is her first album to get a worldwide release. This one deviates even farther from her established dance pop style and it ventures into the world of post-grunge and kind of this alt-rock pop. She worked really extensively with producer Glenn Ballard, and this was the first of several of their collaborations, actually. Uh, He's a big name. He's worked on Michael Jackson's Thriller, and he's worked with a lot of other people we've talked about, including Stevie Nicks, Miley Cyrus, Emmy Rossum, Aerosmith, Ringo Starr, and plenty more. He had a very long list of people (laughs) that he's worked with. (laughs) They tried to create this album track by track, one by one, recording a song per day in sessions that would last anywhere from 12 to 16 hours. And that includes her vocals. What you hear on the record today are vocal tracks taken from the first one or two takes of the original demos. Even songs that had their instrumentations done later, like redone and touched up in a different place and different time, they still kept those original demo levels vocals, which is really interesting. They made this record kind of with the expectation that it would outperform her second record, but not by a ton. They kind of budgeted enough for it to keep the lights on. You know, this will be enough to get a fourth record in the works. But actually, it was a lot more than that. All that started to change once radio stations got a hold of all these singles. It started off with You Ought to Know, which spent five weeks at number one on the Billboard Modern Rock Tracks chart, which is a new record for a female artist at that time. And it caught a lot of eyes on MTV. And after You Ought to Know, it was All I Really Want. That one went to number 14. Then it was Ironic, which peaked at number four on the Hot 100 and topped a couple other charts. Then it was You Learn and Head Over Feet, which both performed really well on the Modern Rock and Mainstream Top 40 charts. That's six singles on a 12-track record. Half of it. Half the album came out and charted and was really well received. So it's a massive hit, Jagged Little Pill. Those singles and the music videos worked their magic and they kept Jagged Little Pill in the top 10 of the Billboard 200 for an absurd 72 weeks. That's like, this is episode 73, right? Think about that. Jagged Little Pill was in the top 10 of the Billboard 200 for as long as we've made this podcast. That's impressive. Uh Uh-huh. I know. It was a chart topper in 13 countries. It sold over 33 million copies worldwide, and its success made her Canada's first ever double diamond selling artist. It won her five Grammys, and at age 21, she became the youngest artist to win Album of the Year. Rolling Stone would go on to deem Jagged Little Pill the 69th greatest album of all time. And, little fun more trivia for you, on her tour when she was promoting the album, her opening act was a different band that we've talked about. Do you have any guesses? Another band that we've talked about or another band that we've done an episode on? That we've done an episode on. Because that's always an important distinction. It is for you. I don't usually play that game. A band that we've done an episode on opened for Alanis Morissette circa 1995. Was it Radiohead? Yes. (laughs) It was. Did you already know that? Spoiler alert, I knew that one. See? (laughs) Take all the wind out of my sails. I love doing that. Because I let you think you have a chance. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I get all excited. I get all hyped up. And then you just, wow. I know. Yes, it was Radiohead. They were promoting their second album just before they released OK Computer. And then everyone's favorite, Kid A. Jagged Little Pill got two re-releases and an acoustic re-recording, and the album even got its own musical. It was called, if you couldn't guess, Jagged Little Pill, and it premiered in 2018, debuting on Broadway the next year, and it was nominated for 15 Tony Awards, which is pretty impressive. And of course, as you can probably imagine, the rest of Alanis' career has been much more successful. As far as awards go, she's won 38 different awards on 80 nominations, which include an ASCAP award for the most performed song in 1999, 
uninvited. She picked up two American Music Awards in 1997 for favorite pop rock female artist and favorite pop rock album. She was the international breakthrough act at the 1996 Brit Awards. She won three Billboard Awards in the Jagged Little Pill era, and she's a Billboard Women in Music icon. She's on Canada's Walk of Fame and the Canadian Songwriter Hall of Fame. She's earned seven Grammys on 14 nominations in just the span of 96 to 2001, by the way. Really dense time frame of Grammy nominations. And she was nominated for two Golden Globes. She's got a ton of Juno Awards. And she's got a lot more than that, too. And a lot of it, a lot, a lot of it, is centered around Jagged Little Pill and this breakout era that we're covering today. So there was a lot of pressure on this record after the underperformance of the second record. And at least commercially, uh, it sure seems to have lived up to the hype. But what do you think? Stick around and find out after Factor Spin. See if we like Jagged Little Pill. Get that PhD of evil on out here. Hey, it's me, the Mixtaper. Hello, Mr. Mixtaper. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? Did you have a nice Thanksgiving? I did. Ate some, you know, ate some good food. Awesome. Had some pumpernickel bread. As one must. You know, it's pumpkin spice season. It is. Not anymore, though. We're kind of past it a little bit. This is like the end of the pumpkin spice season. We're now getting into, like, the peppermint and, and regular cinnamon. Pumpkin spice is a state of mind. Well, you're right. I'm contractually obligated to bring up starbucks uh, again in this episode or they will fire me and i need that job is that did you sign a contract when you started working that you'd do that listen i uh i may have had more than one mishap in the starbucks uh research laboratory <laughs> yeah it's not gone well and so I, I had to make a deal to save my job and that was free product placement you don't no wonder you need to win factor spin so much <laughs> Anyway, I'm on a real rabbit hole here. Let's play some Factor Spin. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. I think last week was a tough week for me. We had some really good facts. I don't remember last week. I think some iconic facts surfaced last week, including the infamous now 6040. That was a good one. The Billboard Billboards and Pet Turkeys. So we've kind of seen a lot lately. Wonder if this week will outperform last week. I hope I'll outperform myself last week. I don't know about all that. That last week was pretty a pretty big highlight. And the Pickle King the week before. I mean, we're on a hot <laughs> the streak. Pickle, Pickle King! What are you going to lie to me about tonight? Well, my first one for you. You know how... Uh... You mentioned in the rundown, one of the first things you kind of talked about was that her second like demo album was stolen. Yes, fact. She's got a really bad luck when it comes to that kind of stuff because this album almost didn't happen for similar reasons. Oh no, wait, really? Well, that's the whole point of what you have to figure out. <laughs> what do you mean, wait, really? I don't know. <laughs> You're about to determine, really, or not really. Right, right. So this album, you say, almost got stolen? Yeah. From where? Her. Okay. By whom? A mugger. She almost got mugged for the album? Uh, well, no, she actually did get mugged, but... Oh, the mugger just didn't want the album. Yeah, that's exactly it. He said, all I really want is your money. I've got one hand in my pocket, and it's got a gun. What is the situation? Is she walking somewhere with the album in some form? Maybe. I, I can't do maybe. You, you said it's my job to figure it out, and I can't do that if you just say maybe. Yeah. Uh, Connor also mentioned that she was she ended up getting picked up by Madonna's record label. Yeah. This was the night before she met Madonna. Oh, gosh. So where was she headed? And like, why was she carrying the album with her? So she had all of her handwritten songs, like the lyrics and stuff, and some cassette tapes that had the, the music for it in her bag at the time. Interesting. So... That makes sense. Were the cassette tapes the only copies of the album at that time? Yeah. Like the masters. And she said that if the thief had stolen it, she would have had to start all over and she would not have been able to remember all the lyrics and music. Oh, that would have been sad. So the album was done, done. And she was just headed along. Uh, I don't know if it was done, done, but she had a lot of them in there. Like she had the lyrics for, for You Oughta Know and the cassette tape for it in the bag. Right. Like, like you talked about how big that one went. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if the stories are to be believed, they went track by track. So. Yeah. The story is that I was reading was that like Madonna signed her after 
was like instantly just like yes i want i want to produce this album with you after only hearing like the first half of the song perfect i can believe that and so like the gunman held her at gunpoint and took all of her cash but decided he didn't want the cassette tapes or handwritten songs and thus she was able to keep them how much did he get away with uh she it just says small amount of cash she had on hand oh okay imagine how much he could have gotten away with because those songs are worth a lot now i, I don't know if they would have had the same value but sure this is interesting a mugging a mugging i think this was a spin oh going with spin yeah i think this one's a spin i like the stuff about madonna hearing half of perfect and loving it and taking her under her wing and i also mm. no that's it i don't really believe oh okay <laughs> <laughs> i don't really believe we've had too many coincidental thefts on this podcast so far. And, and I, I also don't believe that the cassette tapes would be the only copies. I mean, I'm sure they had to have masters somewhere in a studio, somewhere else, unless these were like straight up demos. I don't know. I, I'm still saying this is a spin. You're right. We have not had a lot of coincidental muggings, but we have at least one now because this is a fact. Oh, really? <laughs> Wow. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised. Uh, imagine, right? Because if she didn't have that stuff to show Madonna, she wouldn't have gotten signed. Like That's probably true. It really could have changed her entire life if you'd taken those songs. Yeah, it could have. Well, I'm starting out about the same as I did last week. That's not promising. Yeah, and my next one is called you can't do that on tv you're getting back into the named facts <laughs> after 60 percent soft 40 percent crunchy last week and now you can't do that on tv it almost sounds like another spin it game show there are a lot of things you can't do on television mm-hmm. um one of those is whatever alanis morissette allegedly did which is what <laughs> <laughs> which is be on a children's sketch comedy show called You Can't Do That on Television. Oh, it's the name of the show. <laughs> I thought we were really about to go down the deep, dark rabbit hole of like some controversy, some scandal where she was like, did something unacceptable on TV. What's that show about? Sketch comedy show. I don't know. Did she yeah. play a character or, or what? It was an 80s children's television sketch comedy show that first aired in 1979 in Canada before airing internationally in 1981. It featured preteen and teenage actors in a sketch comedy format similar to that of Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In and Saturday Night Live. Oh, okay. But for kids. Exactly. This was a Nickelodeon show. This is kind of how Nickelodeon got its start. Wow. Oh, interesting. And in the 80s she was just a kid it was a kid's comedy sketch show so yes <laughs> uh it'd be weird if she was an adult on a kid's comedy sketch show no 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 i know i know well but uh, i didn't know if it was a show by kids or for kids it's a by kids for kids it's both oh by kids for kids wow but uh because this is kind of how one of the ways nickelodeon got its start one could argue if this is true she's responsible for spongebob okay no <laughs> See, that's the same. You're really going on some responsibility. You're making some (laughs) leaps and bounds in assigning blame for things. Not blame. Credit. Well, credit is just positive blame. Fair enough. (laughs) Yeah. So how did she get connected to the show? Was she on it for long? And was it Canadian or American? It was Canadian. Okay. And how long was she? She was on it for five episodes while she was in junior high school. You read my mind. Five episodes is not a lot. No. Did they not like her? I think it had a very rotating cast oh but while on it she was subjected to three slimings across those five episodes wow and nickelodeon with its slime really got its start early so they slimed (laughs) these kids we're just trying to make a fun little tv show yeah i think this one's also a spin i mean the other one was a fact but i thought it was a spin i also think (laughs) this one is a spin Mm, what's your reasoning she couldn't have done that on tv <laughs> I don't know a ton about Alanis Morissette, but I think this is something I would have at least brushed past. I feel like I would know just a tiny little bit, mm. unless she was just really insignificantly involved with the show. Do you know anything about her specific sketches? I do not. Mm. Improper research. I wasn't thorough. I don't know what you expected. I don't know. <laughs> so you're banking this one off of your knowledge of of the artist. I you think, think that you know enough about the as artists you would have heard of this if it was true. it might be a little foolish but yeah i do well you're looking pretty foolish because this is a true fact <laughs> oh, no oh no <laughs> yeah two for two <laughs> wow she got slimed shoot shoot indeed we're at least to the 50 50 marker yep pressure's really off for me this is exactly how it was going last week <laughs> 
All right, for fact number three, again, I'm contractually obligated to to talk about uh, my other employer, Starbucks, or I'm fired. So uh, we're going to incorporate Starbucks into this one. Good grief. And talk about how she released an album exclusively using Starbucks Hear Music record label. She released an album on Starbucks record label? On Starbucks Hear Music record label. That's weird. Why? What inspired this change? I mean, she was working with Madonna, you know? Uh, She's an internationally Uh acclaimed recording artist. What takes her to Starbucks? Well, for that answer, let's set the scene. It's June 2005. Okay, I remember. Yeah, I was a wee lad. Pumpkin Spice is yet a figment of a young mixtaper's imagination. (laughs) Yeah. I can see it now in sepia tones in my mind. It's the 10-year anniversary of Jagged Little Pills. It sure is. And she decides to release a acoustic, studio acoustic version of Jagged Little Pills. Yeah, she did. I, I talked about that. that. Exclusively for Starbucks. You didn't talk about that. I didn't because I don't know that that's true. <laughs> The coffee shops had a six-week run, limited availability, where you know Starbucks had an exclusive six-week sale of the acoustic version of the album. Wow, that's so interesting. Why did she record it in a Starbucks? Like, was this a like a performance that happened in a Starbucks? Uh, I don't know. I think it was recorded in a studio. It's just just they gave it to Starbucks first to sell for six weeks. Why did Starbucks want this? I don't know why Starbucks wanted it. <laughs> wow, but. All is not right with the world. Maverick Records, they retaliated by removing her other albums from sale for that six-week run. What? So the only album you could get for that six weeks was if you went to Starbucks and picked up Jagged Little Pill's acoustic version. No way. That's wild. Would they do that? That only hurts them. How many albums did Starbucks sell during that month and a half? I mean, was it a lot? Was it a little? Were there noticeable increases in the people going to Starbucks? I don't know how many they sold in that exclusive six-week sale. But as of November 2010, the acoustic version had sold 372,000 copies in the U.S. Mm. So at least some of those had to come from Starbucks. No, they didn't. Has Starbucks (laughs) done this before or since with any other album? They don't, they're not set up to distribute music they did it through their hear music record label which they founded in with the, the partnership between concord music group and starbucks what else is on the label then i mean it's surely not just this one record okay here we go we have Anjuli, antigone rising the cars the chieftains elvis costello carol king uh john mellencamp Joni Mitchell playing for Chain. Sia. Okay, I've heard enough. Paul Simon. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> James Taylor. These are not Starbucks writers. This is not Starbucks records that you're talking about. This is their roster. This is what. What do you want from me? I think some wires got crossed somewhere along the way. Oh, it's bigger. Biggest seller was Ray Charles, Grammy-winning genius. Loves Company. The roster. But what is Starbucks tied to this? It's the. It, this is the Hear Music catalog. Yeah. Their roster and Hear Music was a record label founded in partnership between Concord Music and Starbucks. No way. I just... It says here music began as a catalog company in Cambridge, Massachusetts in 1990 before being purchased by Starbucks in 1999. Why? I don't know what you want from me. Why would you do that, Starbucks? (laughs) What? This doesn't make any sense (laughs) at all and it has to be at least in some degree true. I think that maybe the Starbucks thing is weird and true and you have been looking for a chance to use this fact and the time frame of the 10 year anniversary of Jaggy Little Pill lines up perfectly for after this happened. So you're going with spin. No. Oh, sorry. You kept saying this has to be a spin, so I was just asking if you were officially locking that in. No, I'm going with fact. Going with fact! <laughs> because, so see, I went with my gut on the last two, and unlike the Tim McGraw episode where I went with my gut and was right all the time. <laughs> This time, my gut's been wrong, so I Mm. think this is the most ridiculous thing you've said in a while, and so I think this has to be true. Let's be certain here. You're saying that Starbucks had a six-week limited run, and that uh, her other record label pulled all of her other records for that six-week run out of spite. I guess it's a fact still. All right. We'll go for it, I guess. This is... You're going to be so disappointed. <laughs> come on. Come on. A fact. You ah! did it. <laughs> I can't believe it. I know. This should not be a fact. 
I gave you way more information than I planned to just because you were so incredulous about what I was saying. Like, you were asking for the roster. I'm like, I'm on here music's Wikipedia page where oh. they just have a roster list of everyone that they've done. That's, that, what a wild, that's one of the most unbelievable facts. It's so much. It was so ridiculous. <laughs> what a week. We've got named facts. This fact was better than 60-40. Wow. We just... Was it? I don't know. I, I just, in my head, that was a lot. I almost feel like I should have ended on this one. I did not anticipate this one going as crazy as it did. I was like, I'll go with this one. Okay. Well, good luck on the final ramp. Yeah, the final ramp, I feel like is going to be a letdown. My head is spinning. <laughs> <laughs> All right. My last one for you. She has her own brand of peanut butter. That's pretty good, though. It might not be the same level of Final Ramp, but that's pretty good. <laughs> I, that's, that's why I thought we'd end on that one, but the other one really went wild. Crunchy or smooth? Or both? Uh, smooth. Okay. Does she really like peanut butter? I mean, how do you break into the peanut butter industry? Decide you want to make peanut butter? I don't I don't really know oh. how one gets into the in- industry. But so she just really does like it and wanted to do it, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it was a it, it was a limited run thing that she got into. Oh, for 6 weeks it was only available in Starbucks. <laughs> For the peanut butter latte. When does she start? Does she farm the peanuts? If it's a limited run thing, I guess she just probably slaps her name onto somebody else's peanut butter, right? Yes, I I, I think so. Because she partnered with the Peanut Butter and Co. brand peanut butter. Sure. To create a peanut butter that's just named Morissette's. Okay. That's simple. Elegant. What distinguishes it from other peanut butters? Is there anything special about it? Good question. It's a honey peanut butter spread. Oh, okay. I was going to ask. See, what if I made a sandwich with uh, Morissette's peanut butter and then James Hetfield's honey from the Metallica Bees? Oh. That would be really good. That would be pretty good. But so this is already a honey peanut butter. Yeah, so you have double the honey. Mm. Uh, In the description of the peanut butter, the peanut butter contains about 60% peanuts. Stop. 40% artificial ingredients. No way. No way. You just fed me a 60-40 the next week. (laughs) I told you you weren't going to believe it. 60% soft, 40% crunchy, this peanut butter. Ah, (laughs) wow. 60-40. I think... I'm leaning a certain way on this. Okay. Is there anything else I need to know? There's plenty that you maybe need to know, but you got to ask for it if you want it. Do you have some and can I try it? <laughs> <laughs> There's probably like some by selling that on eBay, right? It can't be. It won't be very good. When did she make this? By the way, I don't know if we established a time frame. Oh, no, that was one of the questions you didn't ask. This was in 2009. Okay, so it's almost certainly not still good. Well, why not? If it's never been opened, I don't know how long peanut butter lasts. Not that long. I don't know. It's like shelf life of peanut butter. Peanut butter shelf life stays fresh up to three months in the pantry. Okay, well. But that doesn't tell me how long it's going to last unopened. Oh, unopened two years. So no. So absolutely not. <laughs> you you you'll buy that and eat it and get very sick. Worth it for that sixty forty. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I see right through you. Okay. And I think this one is a fact. Oh, whoa! You faked me out for once. Yeah. That doesn't happen often. Well, I saw right through you and I saw the truth. Dang. All right, and that means this week you've managed to crawl your way back from a two nothing deficit to a three one loss. This is oh. a spin. <laughs> no, that's sad. So no honey peanut butter. No, I just had the idea. Let's do peanut butter. Rough. That's two weeks in a row that I've been three and one. Ouch. Yes. I could have, I had the chance to have the perfect week, but it was just too ridiculous, that third one. On Starbucks? Yeah. Yeah, that was a close to perfect week. Your perfect week almost got stolen by a mugger, but thankfully, they didn't take that point. Except they did. You took it. You mugged me for that point. I did. Give it back. Nope. I'm taking it to Madonna. Madonna won't love me if you don't give me that point. (laughs) Tough luck. It's mine now. Wow. Oh, what a, oh, what a round. It was a good round. That was fun. I was dying. Starbucks. Not sponsored, but could be. No. (laughs) I need to recover. Wow. Well, we'll see you next week for a lot more facts and spins. Boy, I'm excited. And until then, I'm off to make my three cents an hour. (laughs) Wow. Welcome back, Connor. I have returned. You sure have. And you lost. I know. I learned a lot, and that's what's important. Again, that was three facts there. Yeah, he's really coming back on facts. Overall, 
he's told a lot more facts than spins actually yeah he's been on a real truth-telling kick again i think with the holidays approaching he learned last year that he can't just be truthful the week of christmas and get <laughs> presents from santa he's trying to be a little nicer yeah well mixtober was a lot of lies so that's true he's got a lot of redeeming to do if he wants that ipod shuffle i don't know if he ever got it he did but with that behind us let's look forward and apparently up at the same time to the album cover of jagged little pill which features <laughs> alanis Moore set looking forward and up at the same time yeah two different faces uh the upward looking one is red and the right facing one is blue ish blue green you know it's a whole thing yeah what do you think well what's this inspire in you does this stir the emotions oh no now after hearing the mixtape or talk it just makes me want peanut butter <laughs> this this album cover makes you want peanut butter <laughs> It doesn't help that I have a jar of peanut butter on my desk right now. Uh-huh. Yeah, what a coincidence. I'm sure that had nothing to do with how things just played out in Factor Spin. Absolutely not. This album cover is, is okay. It feels a little outdated. I don't think you'd see an album come out necessarily with this album cover today, but it doesn't... That's what mine's going to look like. Yeah, well, it's the Brown album, right? Oh, that's right. <laughs> I'm keeping you honest on canon. Listen, the, the Hippin' and Hobbin album, if it ever comes to fruition, is going to be a jumbled mess of canon. Yep. It's going to have to be like a 50-track album at this point with the amount of song ideas we've had. I know. It's okay. It's I like the color scheme. That's the best thing I could say about it, is the way the color scheme works. Very nice. Let's spin it. Yes, let's talk about the songs on Jagged Little Pill, beginning with track one, All I Really Want. It was the album's third single, but it was one of the first songs created for the record. It's all about ups and downs and wants and needs in a relationship. And the verses kind of present it in these antagonistic questions. You know, do I stress you out? Do I wear you out? Why are you petrified of silence? Like she asks all the hard questions in the verses. And that frees up the choruses a lot to simplify things. You know, we have all these complicated problems, but what will really fix things are patience, deliverance, calmness, a soulmate. There's a really great contrast between wants and needs and how our problems can be solved. I guess I didn't ask at the beginning of the episode. Do you know any Alanis Morissette songs? Obviously, some of her biggest hits of all time are from this record. If you had said the name to me before I listened to the album, I would have told you no. Wow. <laughs> Having listened to the album, I realized, yes, I actually knew quite a few of them. Yeah, see, that's what I thought too. I knew some of the big ones. I, there are some that got me into her, kind of led me to this album specifically. But then as I listened, I was like, oh, I know this too. I recognize that. That hook sounds familiar. Like just bits and pieces that I've picked up. Yeah. All I really want kind of felt like on the cusp of that. It was like one that I was like, oh, I feel like I should know this. But I don't think I did until I listened to the album. This was not one I knew. What'd you think? I liked it. Yeah. She's got a really distinct singing style, which I think, honestly, it serves this album really well because it's set against this grungy backdrop, this post-punk kind of like hard edge guitar backdrop where her voice kind of cuts through like a knife. I don't know. This song just feels like what a way to shove us into this record where all the rest of the songs are kind of going to have this same feel to them and also kind of follow the same thematic parallel where so many of these are like big problem, small scale worldview that we established right here at the top. And I like that a lot. Uh, of, of course, this is another song that proves my point that you can, you know, never too much harmonica. Absolutely. Alanis played the harmonica herself for this record, actually. Mm -hmm. She is a harmonica player. And you're right. Never too much. A harmonica. A harmonicist? That sounds better than what I said. Let's go with that. Oh, sounds good. <laughs> There's a couple really good, subtle harmonica spots here. Unlike, you know, Bob Dylan, who just makes his harmonica shriek out and pierce your ears, this one blends into the background a little more. And I think that's to great effect. I feel like that's yeah. a very positive element to this al album. Oh, wait. Actually, I did know this one. Oh, yes. I, I was confusing this with a different one. A late epiphany. The all I really want ba -doom, ba -doom, is some patience. I knew I knew, I knew, knew the chorus. Yeah. Oh, and what's interesting about this album, I, I realized too, is that I recognize a lot of these songs based on tune. But if I'm just to read the lyrics, I think they're paired with the melody in such a way in a lot of spots, not necessarily on all I really want. But on other songs, the lyrics don't line up in a way that leads you to the melody all the time. Yeah. It was very interesting to like where I could read the lyrics and not remember the melody, but remember hearing that. Yeah as a part of the song i don't know it was a it was a cool effect and it takes a special kind of lyric writing to hit that effect let's talk about you ought to know is this one that you knew yeah good you ought to <laughs> i can't believe you didn't see that one coming i should have 
Well, we keep these same emotions running really high on track two. Uh, you Ought to Know is a breakup song that's not exactly a We'll Still Be Friends situation, if you couldn't tell from the title. We don't exactly know who it's about because she's never come out and said, but people speculate it's actually about Dave Coulier, an actor who played Joey Gladstone on Full House. So it's a diss track. I don't know why, but like all of her choruses are what I know. Again, it, the song started, I didn't really know it. And then we got to, and I'm here to, to remind you. I was like, I know this. I don't know from where, Yeah, but I know this. She writes a killer chorus. It was so weird. Like this song, and this is going to be one of my weird brain moments here. Where I'm about to take you down a journey into Connor's brain. Sure. Bring it on. The, the chorus of this sounds like it belongs over a skating montage like a skateboard montage okay. so in your head i think what's happening there is you're like tying it to like avril lavigne am i <laughs> some more like punk pop rock artists from this time period i think yeah it bears some similarity to that yeah i guess just the way just the way the chorus sounds like the chorus sounds like it's that guitar it belongs like uh, you should be a bunch of people hitting the half pikes or whatever it's <laughs> just and i'm here i'm not saying you're wrong i actually i agree with that it's just the way that it sounds i don't know that's that's where my brain goes when i hear this chorus mm-hmm to the skate park <laughs> this song was the album's lead single it was the one that really helped push alanis out into the international market and here's a fun spin cycle fact for you it features contributions from flea of the red hot chili peppers episode 47 mm-hmm. and dave navarro from jane's addiction not spin cycle they kind of played their parts basically with just a vocal and built the track around it like we've seen a couple different times and like we even just talked about the other week with kendrick lamar yeah this song picked up a pair of grammys cracked the top 10 on three different u.s charts one of her biggest singles of all time and it's easy to see why mostly it's just that chorus <laughs> yeah <laughs> she actually had some hesitation about putting out this song she said uh this is exactly how i feel but i don't want to hurt anybody and what happened was her producer glenn ballard just said you know what you have to do it this song is too good you have to put it out there but she was just she didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings <laughs> The song starts off with this bitter kind of introduction to her ex, and he's with his new woman. She says, I want you to know that I'm happy for you. You know, she's an older version of me. Is she like me? Would she do the things that we did? And even though she wishes this guy well in kind of a snide way, the chorus, we really kind of get to see what he ought to know. <laughs> he broke her to pieces when he left. He left this massive mess in the wake of the breakup, and he just doesn't care. One of the best lines on the album, I think, is it's not fair to deny me the cross I bear that you gave to me. Like, what a raw line. Yikes. You know where I know this song from? Oh, you figured it out. Is it from the skate park? I figured it out. It's not. It's from an even weirder situation. <laughs> where? It's in season two, episode five of the Netflix drama Bridgerton. What? I've never seen Bridgerton, but this doesn't seem to fit the vibe. Yeah, well, they do a classical string rendition of the song, and that's why I recognize the melody. Really? Because they do it as an instrumental using classical instruments. Amazing. Wow. But yeah, I, I, I was so bugged about where I recognized it from. I googled the song with pop culture and went to its Wikipedia page to see what all had been used in. Wow. Well, that's what popped up. I can't believe it. Good detective skills. Thank you. It's elemental. It's elementary, as I said in the one blooper. <laughs> we learned. Anyway, it's not perfect, but you know what it is. Uh, honey peanut butter? 60-40 honey peanut butter? Pretty perfect. Sounds pretty perfect to me. Yeah. But uh, no, I was referring to track number three. Yes, track three, perfect. We kind of already talked about it earlier when Connor was disappointed in his 10-year-old self. Perfect is a song <laughs> from the perspective of a parent pushing their own dreams onto their child, setting these really high expectations and maintaining the standard of perfection that really is not clicking with the kid. Not sustainable. No, and this song is not subtle about it. If you're perfect, then you'll win my love. <laughs> Don't forget to win first place. Wow, ouch, okay. Or I will hate you forever. Well, that's implied. I don't think that's actually said. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, is that not one of the lyrics? No. Did I mess that up? Yeah, that one might not be there. Oh. But the main pressure in the chorus is very succinctly wrapped up with a bow right at the end. You've got to measure up, make me prouder. And then in the second chorus, which I'm sure you like, you know, it changes. 
that simply wasn't good enough to make us proud. We kind of get the progression of the trial and the failure of the kid to live up. Because we hate you. Well, it seems like, yeah, they, not that they hate the kid, but just that they think the kid could be doing better. Because they hate themselves. Right. See? Yeah, they're projecting. And the bridge is the best part where we see that kind of projection distilled right down into its core parts. And they say, I'll make you what I never was. And if you're the best, then maybe so am I. Like, if I can turn you into something, maybe it will reflect well on me. Yeah. Oh, also in the chorus. So the chorus switches from be a good boy to be a good girl and back and forth, which I think is cool. I like that. But whenever I hear the line, be a good boy, I just think they're talking to a dog. (laughs) It makes it a little bit more on the comical side to imagine that they're projecting their dreams and aspirations onto a dog instead of a child. In a dog show. (laughs) Yeah, don't forget to win first place. Yes. Mm, Smart. I don't think that's quite right, but I really like that Perfect slows us down. We kind of get a more, like, a softer touch to this than the grungy stuff that we saw earlier, but it doesn't lose the edge in subject material and in lyrics. That's nice. Nice. Pretty perfect. And then we move on to track number four. One of my favorites from this album, actually. Oh. Yeah. Hand in my pocket. Letting that slip early. Well, I let it slip early, but I just wanted to talk about it because it's kind of the first song that intrigued me. I'd heard some of Alanis' stuff before, right? You know, you've heard them all around, especially like Ironic and whatnot. But Hand in My Pocket is the one that really made me go, whoa, what song is this? (laughs) I need to look this up, you know, and that's what led me to the album. Hand in My Pocket was Jagged Little Pill's second single, and what's wild is that the version they kept and released actually started out just as a demo. Like, they planned to redo it and clean it up and do other takes, but they decided that this one was just too good, and they didn't want to risk any demos or re-recordings not living up, so they just kept it. This is a demo version. She likes the, like, opposite juxtaposition. (laughs) Yeah, the song is pretty much a series of these seemingly contradictive traits. They're not ironic, though. Be careful. No. That's later. Well, we'll get to that, too. Kinda. (laughs) But, yeah. Uh, You could could see why one might be confused. No, absolutely. (laughs) It's these contradictive feelings that all amount to who she is. Like, yeah, I'm broke. I'm happy. Honestly, some of these are a little more ironic than the ones in Ironic. Mm -hmm. I might be X, but in spite of X, I'm still Y. You know, the lyrics kind of speak for themselves on the verses. There's nothing too deep there. It's just this statement of this is who I am and how I am. And what all of that amounts to in the chorus is, you know what? Things will be fine because at least I'm on the up and up. I've got one hand in my pocket. The other hand is doing a bunch of stuff. Alanis claims to have written this song in 15 minutes. Sounds like it. It sounds like it? I could do that too if I just had to write down a bunch of things that don't go together next to one another. Can you please try? I would really like that. Maybe we'll do a 15-minute songwriting stream where you try and make a song on the on the level of hand in my pocket. Peanut butter and honey. They go together. 60 and 40. Okay. I just wanted to say that. I know that, they, I know that those two go together. Well, you're on the right track. She said the inspiration, I mean, kind of was like that. She said she was scribbling down all these dichotomies and dualisms. She said, at any given moment, if you said, what are you feeling right now? I'd probably be feeling 16 different things. It's rare that I feel one emotion at any given time. So I thought I'm just going to chronicle in this moment right here. Another fun fact about this is when she plays the song live, fans have come up for a couple different hand gestures that mimic all the things her non-pocketed hand is doing. So they'll like mimic along YMCA style. Mm. Let's talk about track number five, right through you. Right through you. Mm hmm. In this song, she's talking to a person who's putting on airs. Someone who's so fake, in fact, that she can just see, know, feel, and walk right through. Kind of giving me the sense that she thinks that she's better and more authentic than these people. It's kind of talking down to fakers. and She ain't no she ain't no sweet, back-loaded puppet. Darn right. That's what people see her as, you know? But that is not the case. The consensus on this song, I think, is that it's about her record labels, about how they treated her kind of as this money-making tool and less of as a person. They liked her more for what she could do for them, which is where we get the puppet kind of thing. But she saw right through them. She knew they were just in it for the money. This one didn't really do it for me as much. Really? Why not? Yeah. This one was in my bottom third, I think. Uh, that's. I don't know. The hook for the chorus for the way that they sing, I see right through you. Just don't do it for me. That's fair. I wasn't, I wasn't down for it. No. As the kids say. As the kids say. <laughs> I was not down for the fat bars she was slinging. <laughs> 
She gives us a couple examples in the song of people, or maybe just a single person, who can't be bothered to even treat her well. He doesn't learn her name. He's quick to turn her aside and hurt her feelings without a second thought. He's pretty rude. Pretty rude dude. And then, you know, in the the pivotal third verse, we kind of learn that she's broken away from him, and she's come back even better off without him to hold her down. She's apparently a zillionaire, and his name doesn't even deserve to appear in the credits of her accomplishments. So Right Through You is kind of a triumphant song, despite kind of sounding like a song about someone being bullied. Like Tim McGraw's One of These Days, you know? Same difference. Got that five head. Yeah. Right Through You is a five head song. (laughs) Let's talk about the next song, Forgiven. You're forgiven. Thank you. For what? I don't know. I'm sure you've wronged me at some point. Oh. Fair enough. Well, it's nice to know that doesn't matter anymore. You can you can bank that one for for later. That's a pre-forgiveness. Yeah. Forgiven with an e because it's before. Oh, I like it. Yeah. We just created a new thing. Pre-forgiving people to get out of jail free card. <laughs> Monopoly created the thing. Yeah, but we had better marketing than Monopoly. We will we'll, we'll, we'll go down into the history books. I think the little cuter car from Monopoly has better marketing than we do. All, all I know is Monopoly. Monopoly has done wonders for the thimble. Oh, you're right. It has really improved the PR for the thimble. <laughs> without without Monopoly, I don't know if kids these days would know what a thimble is. I don't know, even with Monopoly, whether they do. <laughs> anyway, that has nothing to do with the song Forgiven. This song is her critique about her religious upbringing. We've seen similar stuff in the past, but never quite from this perspective. In my head, Forgiven was kind of almost from the point of view of Virginia, that Catholic girl that Billy Joel was chasing after in Only the Good Die Young. Mm. After she starts to break away from her religion, this song is kind of like what she'd be singing. And realize she should have got with Billy Joel. Yeah, he's Billy Joel. Yeah, she's like, man, I had an opportunity to get with Billy Joel and I missed it. I squandered it. Squandered? Everyone squanders their Billy Joel window at some point in their life. It's okay. Does everybody get a Billy Joel window? No, it's a rare thing. So, you know, carpe diem. Carpe Joelum. Yeah. I think you're right, kind of. Talking about right through you being in the lower part of this album, I think this middle slump is kind of hitting here with right through you and Forgiven back to back. Yeah. Forgiven is not one that really jazzes me up a lot. Yeah. I like it well enough. You know, there's some cool lyrical work. It's very personal. She talks about how her brothers never went blind for what they did, but I may as well have because she was so caught up and swept away and everything that she didn't ever really see, as she says. It's interesting. Lyrically strong, but musically it falls behind. The last chorus is pretty convicting. You know, have it, she says, we all had our minds made up for us. We had to believe in something, so we did. It just kind of feels very dismissive and, and like this reflective period. Forgiven is okay. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. But on the same themes of growing up and kind of progressing through life, You Learn is the next track. It pulls us out of that slump, in my opinion. Yes, big time. Big time. It's one of the album's more optimistic tracks. It was her fifth single, third top ten hit. And the idea of the song is really simple. No matter what you do, whether it's good or it's bad, you'll learn from it. Everything has a silver lining. And to prove that it's literally every situation, she just kind of lists a couple different things here. Getting your heart trampled, uh, walking naked around the living room. You can learn from both of those things. We get our title. Yes, Jagged Little Pill shows up in the pre-chorus. Swallow it down, what a jagged little pill. As in, like, take these consequences as they come. And even though they hurt, what else are you going to do? They're going to make you better in the long run. They're just swimming around in your stomach. It feels so good. Yeah. I like the chorus of You Learn. You know, it's catchy. I do too. It's memorable. And it's got this simplicity that still packs a punch. It's this kind of peak Alanis lyric writing. Yeah. And again, this was a chorus that I recognized when when we hit it. Oh, yeah? What was this one from? I don't know. I don't know where any of these were from. They just showed up. They just showed up. And I do like, again, the fact that it ends with You Learn at the end of every line. But I, I like it. I do too. It The repeating works really well. Yep. Yeah, in this scenario, it works. Top notch. Again, it wasn't just you learn, you learn, <laughs> you, you learn. learn, you learn oh, over gosh. over. It was it makes the you live, you love, you cry, you lose, you bleed, you scream more punchy when it's followed up with the you learn every time. Yeah, it's a lot more powerful. Each one we yeah. know what the impact of it is about to be and the effect of it is about to have. Every time you bleed, you learn. It's true. Even if the only thing you learn is that you're bleeding. Let's talk about head over feet. This one's actually a really nice love song. Okay, you heard you knew this one, right? Uh 
you know you definitely knew this one right i don't think i did am i going crazy because this song this was the only song i knew 100 i knew the verse i knew the chorus like, i recognized the entire song and i was really hoping you did too and was gonna tell me where i knew it from uh, no i don't know where <laughs> you know it from all right i'm about to go down a, a, a rabbit hole uh-oh Hang on. It's Dr. Pepper all you, over you gotta again. Carry, you got to cover the podcast for a moment. I got to figure out where I know this from. Okay, well, you do that. I figured you might know this one or at least like it a little better as the ballad guy. Big ballad guy. Yeah. She meets this guy on a whim, and she, quote, has no choice but to fall for him because he's such a nice guy. He kind of shows her this whole new side to love that she'd never seen much before. And she puts these really cool lines in here. I mean, one of the most obvious lyrical gems that I really like is the start of that chorus. You've already won me over in spite of me, which is a great line. Like, even though I didn't think I was very win-overable, you still did it you still came after you still pursued a relationship with me in a place and in a situation where i didn't think that would happen really simple way to sum all that up verse three also really interestingly constructed she says you're the bearer of unconditional things you held your breath and the door for me what a line i mean we just take this unconditional love and we simplify it remember i said at the very beginning this album was about complicated emotions and complicated problems distilled into really simple solutions and worldviews this is that the unconditional love that this person has for her is exemplified in something as small as holding a door. I just, I really like that. It's a quick little beat. Yeah, it's good. Mm -hmm. Did you figure it out? Are you out of your rabbit hole? No. You just popped up for air. <laughs> Wait, you want to stay for this part. You even talked about this a little bit earlier. I've always had an issue with falling head over <laughs> heels for someone because... That's just where your head normally is, you know? This is the same kind of thing, head over feet. Unless you're, like, yeah. laying down. I mean, it should really be heels over head for you, right? Yeah. Then you're, uh, then you're, like, 180 in the wrong direction. Yeah. I don't think the song would work as well, though. Uh, don't be alarmed if I fall feet over head. You just, yeah, then you gotta find some better rhymes. Yeah, and that'd be tough. Yeah, what rhymes with head? Dread, bed, fed, said, wed, bled. We could tie it back into you learn with more bleeding. Tread. Song about tires. <laughs> yeah, I guess it could be Tread, the song about tires. Sure. I don't think you're going to find where you know it from. Why is that the expression, though? Head over heels, hand over... Hang on. Let me pop up a second rabbit hole tab. Oh, <laughs> no. On. An intersection in the rabbit hole. He's going to get lost down there. Head over heels expression origin oh the phrase traces its roots to have roman origins okay what does it mean it is believed that for centuries the expression was earlier used as heels overhead so it just got messed up so that's what i'm looking heels overhead and overhead and heels and love kind of got conflated into head over heels huh interesting now you learned you know what you listen to spin it you learn and that was another one of our classic spin it tangents but da 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 let's talk about mary jane not spider-man's girlfriend the next track on the album number nine mary jane alana says it was my empathy for the feminine for the vulnerable and the self-care particularly for those of us who are service oriented and generous and the orientation in life is to give and ask questions later that's what she says mary jane was inspired by the song kind of presents itself as like a mentor or a friend talking to mary jane and kind of telling her hey you know be yourself don't let the world kind of dull your shine. Because Mary Jane seems to be the kind of person who goes to really great lengths to conceal her feelings and present a really curated picture to the world. But the speaker sees right through, just like Alanis does earlier on the album. She sees the deeper side of Mary Jane, and she's trying to reach out and get her to open up to the world and be herself. She says, you're the last great innocent, and that's why I love you. What a line. Mary, Mary, quite contrary. No? We get bored, so we get married. We've already done a song called Mary, Mary. That was Merry Go Round by Casey Musgraves, taking it all the way back to like episode three or whatever. No, two. It two. It was two. Episode two. Wow. I like Mary Jane. I think it's got the potential to be a really inspiring song if you come at it with the right attitude. You heard him, officer. <laughs> no, I like the song <laughs> Mary Jane. The, the track, the Alanis Morissette song right here, track nine. I did like it too. I did like it. The instrumentals were, the guitar was pretty when it opened up on this song. Yeah, it's a really sweet song. Very sweet. Mm -hmm. Whereas the next one's very ironic. No, it's not. But the next song is ironic. Literally, that's what it is. It's another one of her greatest hits and iconic choruses. And I think the conclusion that people have kind of come to after a lot of debate 
and, you know, spirited back and forth, is that this generally is a misuse of the word ironic. And most of these things are not <laughs> ironic and are just frustrating coincidences. Yeah. A couple of them could be dramatic irony if we knew about it ahead of time. Yeah. Like Ray Yane on your wedding day. Uh, I was just thinking, like, if we knew the old man was going to win the lottery and die the next day, that would have been dramatic irony. Right. Yeah, but it's not inherently ironic. It's just dumb luck. It's not good. It's a, it's a bummer. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, does she ever actually call it ironic? She asks, and isn't it ironic? She's asking the question. So we're perfect. We're legally allowed to just say no. She even says, don't you think? Like, no, I don't think. We're legally allowed to say no. We can teach her. Under what circumstances <laughs> would be, we be legally obligated to say yes? If it was ironic. Oh, maybe. Can't lie to her. Can't lie. Yeah, you're right. We could teach her. There's room for her to learn. She's just asking whether it's ironic. And who would have thought? It figures. Maybe she's in English and she's like asking her teacher if these are good examples of irony. Maybe. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I like that. And her teacher's like, no, you fail. <laughs> <laughs> Which one of these things do you think would be the worst? Ooh, I should have anticipated this question. I... Th I I was going to say 10,000 spoons when all you need is a knife. You really think that one's the worst, huh? You really think getting pardoned two minutes after your own execution <laughs> is really going to take the second place to having 10,000 spoons when you just want to cut your cake with that a knife? <laughs> That's why I said I was gonna, and then I realized probably shouldn't. Yeah, most of these people, like, <laughs> perish. The old man wins the lottery and dies. This person gets executed. And then, like, this person crashes in a fiery plane accident. And then there's, like, oh, a little fly in my drink. Oh, I needed a knife. Is the, I, I, I might be misusing the word ironic, but is the dying or being pardoned two minutes after your own execution? That one's a little ironic, right? That one's a little. Yeah, maybe. That is borderline ironic. Yeah. Boy, the melody on this song, though, is just the top. This is the cream of the crop melody from this album, I think. The, the Ray Yane on your wedding day, that pulls you right in right away. I guess the question is just whether or not you, it causes wry amusement due to it happening. Like, is anybody sitting there wryly amused at the fact that he was pardoned two minutes after being executed if so it's ironic it's pretty sick <laughs> <laughs> i think every execution should have one person whose job is to, they're the they're the rier their job is to sit in the execution chamber and when that happens determine if there was any amusement oh that's funny but it ain't ironic no it's not you know what else it's not the doctor <laughs> <laughs> well that was a roller coaster but we sure got there it's not the doctor. What a stupid transition. That was one of the best transitions we've ever done. I picked up on it right as you asked. I'm almost going to get it out without laughing. Oh, That's right. Not the doctor. The next to last track on this album. This is a song where Alanis is kind of trying to assert her own identity. She doesn't want to be there simply to fulfill the excessive needs of this other person, nor does she want to be coupled to them, to the outsider looking in at their relationship. She's her own person, and so she kind of says so in no uncertain terms. Indeed. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be the filler if the void is solely yours, she says. I don't want to be a bandage if the wound isn't mine. That's that's kind of just selfish. Or at least a big diss on that person. Like, I'm willing to do it as long as it's not your void, you know? No, well, not solely your void. Like, I'm willing to fill my void or voids that we share. I'm just saying she could have easily made the line someone else's void rather than your void or something like that, right? But she specifically calls out that person's void, so. Well, I think the key word that you're skipping over is solely yours. Like, she's got her own problems to worry about, so she doesn't have time to pour endlessly into this other person. But maybe something because she's already pouring into somebody else. One of the most poignant lines, I think, is I don't want to be adored for what I merely represent to you. Like, I need you to think of me as my own person, too. And not just as this little thing to keep you distracted or help you get better. I'm not the doctor that's going to heal you. I'm not a fix for your problems. I'm not here to be subservient to you. So show me the back door. I'm out. It's a pretty adamant exit. Indeed. Verse 2 does get a little weirder in that same kind of style of having some random lines about thousands of spoons. You know, sometimes <laughs> she kind of goes on a little tangent into some interesting imagery. She gets on her own Opry tangent every now and again. Yeah. Verse 2, she says, I'm not here to sweep up your eggshells or to be the light in your fridge. 
while you're rooting around for food at 2 a.m. That's, I mean, specific. That's pretty specific. The first verse was very, like, metaphorical and high-minded. I don't want to bandage your bullet holes. I don't want to fill your void. But now, also, I don't want to be the piece of cake you're shoveling in your mouth at 2 a.m. I'm imagining he's shoveling eggs into his mouth at 2 a.m., and that's how the shells are getting all over Ew. the floor she has to walk on. Yeah, I don't want to be somebody's 2 a.m. egg shells either. Yeah, just crunching down on some eggs. Oh, awful. No wonder she doesn't want to fill his void. I don't know, you ready to wake up? Yeah, the album closes on the song Wake Up. And once again, we get these inverted images, like ironic, warm snow, dry rain, the same kind of like contradictory image play that we've seen before. And the falling rose in this song, I like, it isn't a symbol, you know, she loves me, she loves me not. It's not like that. She says there's no fundamental excuse for the granted I'm taken for, which is one of my favorite lines on the album, even though Wake Up is not one of my favorite songs. I agree. In the chorus, she basically says it's always easier not to do anything, right? The easy way is always going to be opting out. Being isolated and handling things by yourself is the way to go. But then she says what goes around won't come around to you if you're not in that loop. So isolationism is the way to go. And then she starts pleading with her partner to change behavior, to start trying harder, to mix things up, and stepping outside of that easy comfort zone, and then waking up into something more bold and exciting, which I like. That's an interesting message to end this album on. Kind of that get up off the floor, get out into the world. Like, take all this stuff that we've learned for the last, I don't know, 50 minutes of album, and go apply it. Kind of a call to action. Uh, yeah, it is. But I think the call to action that it's giving us is to move in to final spin ah yes final spin once again we have returned well let me hit you with some nifty little scores jagged little scores if you will (laughs) yeah first of all music boy this album is so fun musically i love the style i love the deviation from the old Atlantis dance pop i love these choruses that get stuck in your head so well constructed well written i'm given music in 87 lyrics are a different beast altogether i've pointed out a lot of the lyrics that i really like but also there are some really funny lyrics in here too that we've talked about from time to time that kind of just tilt the seesaw a little far in the buffoonery direction for me. Mm-hmm. But they're not awful, and they're not overbearing, and I think they fit well with the style of the album. I'm giving lyrics an 80. Instruments of production, not bad. You know, uh, I like the harmonica work that she does. That's pretty cool. I like some of the deviations from the norm on songs like Perfect and You Learn. There are some nice, like, changes. But for the most part, this album is a little bit samey on the production side. Her harmonica playing is really cool, adds a lot to the album. But overall, I don't think there's enough variation to keep me, like, wow, blown away by it. I'm giving Instruments of Production a 79. Although it is really cool that a lot of these songs were kind of demo tracks. You know, never meant to sound fully produced and fleshed out. Kind of like just a garage band, core, grunge, pop kind of sound. And I like that. So I think that factors more into the vibe score, which for me is an 82. I like the lessons she tries to teach on this album. I don't think any of them go unheard. I think they all land really poignantly. And that's, that's a special thing to do. Not every album can be or attempt to be not maybe preachy, but as instructive as this one is and get away with it. I think Jagged Little Pill pulls it off pretty flawlessly. So overall, my score for this album is an 84.1, puts it at number 281 on the ranking spreadsheet. Okay. I like it. That score, I think, lines up. Mm-hmm. That lines up with what I was expecting. Well, good. Then you were on the nose. For me, I think my playlist pick is going to be Hand in My Pocket. Hand in My Pocket. Okay. Just because that one interested you a bunch. The first one to kind of tickle your interest. It is, yeah. And if there's going to be an Alanis Morissette song that I recommend to someone, it's probably going to be Hand in My Pocket or Ironic. Really? Ironic? Even with how much we joked about it. Oh, don't you think? I know it's not really ironic, but it's the easiest to sing and one of her biggest hits. It is one of her biggest hits, I guess. It's got that going for it. For me, my top three in album order. Conorable mention to You Oughta Know. Solid. Up next, You Learn. Whoa. Skipping way down the track list and also passing up all I really want, but understandable. And perfect, though. You did talk about liking perfect. I did like perfect. Just not enough. Didn't quite make top three. Next up, 
head over feet. Okay, it's already won you over. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, that's the that's the line. Oh, oh, I missed that one. Sorry. Yeah. It was uh, I was focused on my next one, uh-huh. which is ironic. Hey, ironic, don't you think? And for my playlist pick, I think I have to go with head over feet. Really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. It's the one that I knew the entire song for. Okay, that's I mean. true. That's a good point. You're the ballad guy. I am the ballad guy. Isn't it ironic that we didn't take ironic? One of her biggest songs when we're kind of known for taking the most popular sometimes. Sometimes. It's it's ironic. It's something. <laughs> well, head over feet and hand in my pocket it is. We got a lot of anatomical songs from this album. <laughs> it's all about hands and feet. Good stuff. Well, Good stuff. that only leaves me with one more question. Yeah? What'd you learn about the thimble? You've done it again. I'm just kidding. The thimble? No, wait, sorry. No, no, no. I take it all back. It was just a joke. I wanted to I wanted to pretend like I didn't want to know your score, but I do want to know your score. Yeah? What do you think my score is? Well, this is kind of an album unlike a lot of stuff that we've talked about. I think for you, mm. I am looking at your list, and I think this goes at a seven just below sour. Just below sour is the top of the sevens. Well, almost top of the sevens. Well, right. You're right. I think it'll go high seven. Yeah, okay. You're close, actually. This does indeed get a seven. That's good. I'll take that. I think it goes right below Dark Side of the Moon. Okay, I was only off by a couple. Yeah, you were. You were very close. As for my unit, I, th- I think there's only one unit for this 90s album. Uh-huh. And that's seven state of minds. Because, you know, 90, that's a state of mind. The 90s state of Wow. That's a an early episode joke. People from for unit this time. Okay, seven states of mind. I like it. Yep. You know what you want to know which states? No. Good because I really was like, why did I do that to myself? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wasn't So I'm glad you just shut it down. Nope, I wasn't gonna let you carry on. I'm not your wayward son. That's a whole different thing entirely. <laughs> so that's okay. That's interesting. A seven. I I like that. I wasn't sure where you'd land on this. Uh it maybe goes above dark side of the moon. I think I've changed my mind. Okay. Well that was a quick pivot. For sure. <laughs> I was just I was staring at it and it didn't feel good. Okay, understandable. I wasn't head over feet. Oh yes, of course. So now you are. Now my hands are in my pocket and everything's perfect. Awesome. And that's all I really want. What's the re-listenability like on this album for you? Uh, I think it's about fifty-fifty. I think about half the tracks I I, I could find myself uh, now that I know I know them. <laughs> right. Um. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out you, I've been re-listening to these tracks for years. <laughs> Where there was a really big stretch of episodes where like every episode there was like one track that I knew and I couldn't figure out where. This was like that, but like every other track. That was right around Kiss. Remember when you didn't know any Kiss songs and then you knew all the Kiss songs? And then I knew all of them. (laughs) That was a wild one. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. But anyway, if you want to find us on the internet, we're there. You know what? You can find us on Instagram, at SpinItPodOfficial. You can find us on Twitter, at SpinItPod. And you can find us on our website, www.SpinItPod.com. We'll have another fun episode coming out next week. Actually, Spinter Wonderland is right around the corner. It's the holiday season, so we're celebrating once again with some more fun little special seasonal episodes that you won't want to miss. They'll be a (laughs) wild time. So we'll see you then. And until then, have a great weekend as always. Keep spinning. Uh uh oh. Hang on. Oh god. Oh god, why? We were so close. We were so close. You know what I said. We were so close. My headset died right as we went to end it. I'm back. There? Yeah, I all I said was Alright, let's say it. Nobody is No, we gotta say it together. We gotta say it. The moment's gone. No. Keep 